Family, really great to see you all on Zoom and be together, even though we are still wanting to be together in the flesh. But as I get started, let me um, open us up with a word of prayer. Father, you are the God who has spoken. You are the God who speaks. And you continue to speak and reveal yourself to us through your living word. So we ask for your help today, Holy Spirit. Open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word with gladness today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm sure you will all have heard the saying, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and to remove all doubt. And Proverbs um, 17.28 actually says something quite similar. Have you ever sat in the fear of suddenly being called upon to give your opinion? I've been in this situation many times myself. Many, um, Many of you, or maybe many times I have, dozed off for a minute, or maybe I never had any idea what was going on in the first place. And opening my mouth would surely give away my shortcoming. You see, some of us are better than others at controlling what comes out of our mouths. But the first place that we can look to see a person's true colours is to examine the integrity of their words over time. We live in a day and an age where our words are more powerful and dangerous than ever. Think of the celebrities that have been cancelled. Think of the politicians who have been shamed by tweets or status updates dug up from years before they ever rose to prominence. Think of the viral posts that are so explosive that they can incite weeks of protests or violent riots. You see, James, in James 3, wants us to see that a person who has total control over their tongue at all times, well, they're likely to be someone who's able to keep their whole life in check. People of integrity are people who are consistent with the things that they say. And people who are perfect or mature, in James's eyes, are people whose words perfectly align with what is true of God, what is true of others, and true of themselves. And whether or not you're a Christian, don't we all want to be people who have a deep inner integrity that's revealed in our words? And so this afternoon, we'll take a bit of time to hear what Jesus and James have to say about the words that come out of our mouths. And so we'll look at the power of the tongue, the danger of the tongue, and the taming of the tongue. The power, the danger, and the taming. Let's start with the power of the tongue. Both James and Jesus know that there is really a great deal of power in our words. See, James begins chapter 3 by addressing aspiring teachers in their communities. And our teachers held positions of great respect and influence in the ancient Near East. They were possibly the primary way in which Jewish culture and society was influenced at the time. And so it would appeal, especially to members of the lower servant classes, to aspire to be teachers, to rise from the ranks and to them, for themselves to become influencers. And James warns that those with these aspirations, that they will be judged more severely because of their position of influence. 
they will have to give an account for their words. And James knows that he himself is in this boat. See, he points out that the teacher's greatest tool is also their greatest danger, the tongue. And it's not only true of the teachers, but true of every other member of the community. Our tongues are at work almost every moment of every day. We are constantly communicating. We're speaking to others. We're speaking to ourselves. We're posting on social media. We're sending messages and we're penning emails. And in chapter 3, James gives us three images for the human tongue. A bit, a rudder, and a fire. And each image speaks to the power of the tongue. See, James's whole point in verses 3 to 6 is that the tongue has an influence over our lives that's disproportionate to its size. See, a bit can direct an entire beast. A small rudder steers an entire ship. And a fire has the power to consume an entire forest. You know that old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me? Well, that's just straight up untrue. Think for a second. Think of the person who has caused you the deepest hurt. Or think of the, per- think of the person who has changed your life for the better. And you will most likely remember the things that they said. The words of a parent, a teacher, a high school bully, or a friend from years back can linger and take up residence in our hearts and our minds, so much so that they continue to influence the way we speak today. And so like a bit in a horse's mouth or the rudder of a ship, our words chart the course for our lives. What do you spend most of your time talking about? That's likely to reveal what's most important to you. And the more you talk about these things with others, the more determined your course becomes. The more you surround yourself with people who echo this voice, the more likely you will be to go in that direction. And so that's why mantras, which were traditionally um, a religious practice, that's why they've been appropriated and utilized by life coaches and psychologists in the secular age, because they know that what we say carries great power. See, words can bring us to wise self-reflection that brings about growth, but words can also bolster our broken, sinful impulses too. And words will not only do this to us, but our words will do the same to others. So the question is, is do our words offer life-giving counsel, or do they give destructive permission. What we say not only shapes our lives, but the lives of others in very powerful ways. And that's why Proverbs 18.21 tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death for us and for others. You see, while the bit and the rudder points us to the tongue's power, James's description of the tongue as a fire warns us of the immense danger of the tongue. You see, if our lives are like a lush green forest full of life and potential, then the tongue is like a spark that threatens to burn the whole thing down. 
Look with me to verse 6. Here James says that the tongue is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. I dare say the vast majority of us manage to keep a pretty tight lid on our speech day in and day out. But I wonder, what comes out of your mouth when you're tired or hungry or you're craving that coffee? What kinds of things get repeated and rehearsed when you're sick of life in lockdown? When you're worn down by the way that things are going? Or when you're just upset that that person won't do the thing that you want them to do? You see, if you've ever said something um, hurtful or foolish and just wish that you could pluck those words out of thin air and just shove them back down in your belly from where it came from, then you, if you've felt that way before, then you've experienced what James is talking about here. What we say has the potential to bring our whole lives undone. And not only can our tongues irreparably hurt others and ourselves, but the untamable nature of our tongues acts a bit like a canary in a coal mine. It reveals to us a greater danger that lurks deep within us. James goes on to say in verse 8, that the tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And the word translated here as restless is the same word that we find in chapter 1, where James describes the unstable surface of a stormy sea. You see, this restless evil is the antithesis of the stable, consistent, single-mindedness that typifies Christ-like maturity, the thing that James sees as the goal of the Christian life. And James's assessment of the tongue here, it's pretty grim, right? He says, it is, it's... think with me to Genesis 1 and 2 that Pete reminded us of before. God speaks every good thing into existence. His words bring life. But God's good creation is set alight by sin and death as the forked tongue of Satan himself tempts Adam and Eve to distrust God's good words. And instead, they believe a different, life-destroying word. They believe that God is withholding good from them. And this leads them to reject God and to take matters into their own hands. See, the tongue is full of deadly poison because it becomes the hellish instrument of our sinful rebellion against God's goodness. And the teaching of both Jesus and James was steeped in the Jewish wisdom tradition. And they would have known the destructiveness of the tongue that Proverbs warns us about time and time again. Evil words destroy the people that we care most about, Proverbs 11.9. Cruel words towards others destroy our own souls, verse 17 in that chapter. Angry words fuel only more anger. Lies erode the nature of the soul. Gossip tears relationships apart. And if we look at Jesus' own vice list in Matthew 15, 19, he lists murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. 
You see, that objectifying comment or thought about that random person walking down the street, that slander about your coworker when you're meeting with your manager, that spiteful remark against the family member, or that juicy bit of gossip about someone in your friendship group, these poisonous evils are all done by the tongue. Imagine going to a close friend who has a newly born child and, say, and saying, friend, I love you with all of my heart, but I just can't stand your kid. You see, when we sin against another person in our speech, we sin against someone who bears the image of the God whose good and perfect word spoke all things into existence. And we offend, we hurt, not only others, but most ultimately God. And so all of these things, our words which bring guilt on us, our inability to consistently speak life, points us to this restless evil, this deadly poison that James is talking about. It's not only upon our tongues, it's from deep within our hearts. And Jesus gets to the heart of the matter in Matthew 15. Here, he's just had a run-in with the Pharisees who are a bit upset that his disciples haven't washed their hands according to Jewish customs before eating. But Jesus here makes it really clear that that which makes you unclean, that which makes you unworthy of coming before God and belonging to God, it's not contingent upon your ability or your inability to live by the rules. So he critiques the religious leaders in verses 8 and 9. Using the words of the prophet Isaiah, he says this, They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. See, what makes us unclean and unfit for God is the same thing that God wants from us. Not just outward behavior and speech, but our very hearts. Jesus puts it this way in Luke 6. The mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And the Bible talks about the human heart as the deepest core of our being, that part of us that longs for and desires and ultimately loves and worships. See, contrary to a world that is obsessed with superficial veneer, what concerns Jesus the most is the heart beneath all that we say and do. And the tongue demonstrates the priority of our hearts, not only in what we say, but in how we say it and in why we say it. I, I don't think, actually, it's all that hard for us to honestly identify when our words are just blatantly destructive, although controlling them in the moment is probably a whole different issue. But our hearts are so messed up that they can lead us to say the right things with messed up motives. We can compliment someone selfishly because winning favor with them benefits us. We can signal our values self-righteously because it makes us feel superior to other people. We can even confess our sin to a brother or sister in Christ with a self-inflated heart using our fake vulnerability to justify our standing with God. It's not only that, our hearts are so messed up that we could even remain silent with messed up motives. 
We fail to speak words of forgiveness and reconciliation because we're conflict-averse and we'd rather preserve our own comfort. You know, we keep silent instead of graciously correcting or guiding a brother or sister because we don't really ascribe to them the dignity don't really think they're worth our effort and our time. So we can withhold words which encourage and celebrate all that is good and given from God in the people around us because our hearts, a small tongue is like a wild beast or like a raging fire. It's a danger that needs to be tamed because it points us to a danger that if left unchecked will threaten to destroy the entirety of our lives. To use James's imagery, the words of our tongues point us to see the person who really holds the reins in our lives, the person who's really the captain steering the ship, the one who is the greatest love of our hearts. I think too often, frankly, we're desperately clinging to the reins, not realizing that we are headed for disaster. And we refuse to trust that there might be someone else who is better, who is wiser, who is more deserving to chart the course of our lives. See, the reason why James says that no human being is capable of taming their own tongue is because no human being has the power to change the nature of their own heart. And so it leads us to ask the question, how then can the human heart be changed so that the tongue can be tamed? James goes on in verses 11 and 12 to say this, salt water cannot flow from a fresh spring. A fig tree cannot bear olives. It's just not in their nature. A spring, well, it needs a new source if it's going to change the water that comes out of it. A tree, it needs new DNA if it's going to bear new and different fruit. And so if we follow James and Jesus' logic here, if we in and of ourselves are unable to tame our tongues because we can't change our own hearts, then the answer must be external to us. And this is the message of the Christian faith, right? And it contrasts the, the word of our day that says that all the answers you need in life are deep within your own heart. You just need to look within. See, the Christian message says that for the tongue to be tamed, for our hearts to be changed, and for the fire of hell and sin to be put out, good news is this, friends, Jesus is the one who makes this necessity a possibility. In John 1, we're told that Jesus, in God, spoke all things into existence. He made and he sustains all things, word of God, who became flesh to become like us, to live and to speak perfectly. He was the perfect son of humanity. He is everything our words and our hearts should be and yet fail to be. And our words, they condemn us by revealing the godless rebellion of our hearts. But Jesus, the perfect word, suffered in silence at the cross for us. There at the cross, every word of insult and abuse and slander was hurled at him as he hung in our place. There at the cross, he bore the guilt for every godless, sinful selfish slow 
And now for all of us who would receive, in, would receive him and trust in him as our substitute and our brother, God gives us the Holy Spirit to live within us, to speak a new word over us. And it's this word in us that creates new hearts in which God now holds the reins to our lives. Your words and my words will never be consistent with all that is good so long as we hold the reins to our own hearts. But if by the word of God's great love for you in Jesus, God becomes the pilot of your life through faith in Christ, then that hellish inferno in your heart and upon your tongue will be quenched and transformed into a spring of living water. James says in verse 10 that a tongue that praises God on a Sunday and then curses a brother or a sister on a Monday doesn't belong to someone who belongs to Jesus. In James 1.26, we're told that true religion involves keeping a tight rein on the tongue. In chapter 3, verse 2 today, we're told that the perfect or mature person in Christ keeps a tight rein on their whole body, especially their tongue. So, we don't really. God does it in us. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that because of Jesus, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And just as the Spirit hovered over the restless waters of creation, we need the Spirit to hover over the chaos of our own hearts. We need Him to speak a new, recreative word over us day in and day out. We need, to, we need him to speak what James refers to in chapter 1, verse 21. We need the Spirit to speak the word of the gospel that's been planted within us afresh and anew every day. The Spirit is our helper. He is our teacher. He is our counselor. Jesus in John 14, 26 promises that the Spirit will remind us of all that Jesus has said and done. The Holy Spirit is given to us to remind us of the gospel. And the part that we have to play as God's people is in humbly positioning ourselves to hear his voice, to remove the distractions, to make space, and to take up practices that incline us towards listening before speaking. And the more our hearts become gripped by God's love for us in Christ, the more his life becomes our life, the more he will dominate our affections, the more he will shape our patterns of thought. And then the, the waters of life-giving, God-glorifying speech will naturally flow from our mouths. The heart overflowing with life will show itself in our speech. Let me pray for us. Father, you have spoken most clearly through your son, Jesus, who is himself the word for us. So Holy Spirit, speak this word of gospel truth into us. Glorify Jesus in us. Change the nature of our hearts so that 
our lips might overflow with words of life. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And we pray that we would be a people whose mouths testify to the goodness and the glory of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.